Welcome to Move Left Idiots, a socialist talk podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Uh, the Suez Canal is on blocks. Hallelujah. <laughs> we can we can all get our Amazon orders now. Uh, presumably, that's where all of our orders go through uh, to get to the United States. It's through the Suez Canal. Um <laughs> And unfortunately, the memes have now died. Uh, the memes, the memes of production have now died. Um, God, there was some great ones. Uh, one was just a, a screenshot of a text I saw, and it said, uh, "They say the cargo ship is still stuck in the Suez Canal." Made me think of how our relationship got stuck. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what could have been different if you'd ever given me another shot. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, no need to respond. Stay safe. <laughs> <laughs> that story i i just I, you know it, it, anyone that like is just like on left twitter that was like fucking christmas for us because it's just like oh we could just halt global capitalism by one guy not paying attention for a second and turning the wheel too far to the right, and, right. Like, it got, it got windy fucking... it got windy <laughs> um well and also just the irony that like you know they, they've been building these ships bigger and bigger like they're doubling in size every five years these ships they're building right you know, they the biggest they had 10 years ago could carry five thousand of these containers now this the ship that got stuck had twenty thousand containers on it it's just just bloated obscene uh, you know and right. it's of course because like everyone's like well i bought shit online and <laughs> now i want it right and and there's eight billion of us who are consuming all this shit so it's like but th- there was a great um, uh, meme that I saw. It was, you know, the, like the Marx failed to consider this meme. And it's a picture, you know, Marx failed to consider this. Shake my head. And it's the picture of the boat blocking the canal. Right, right. And then it says, uh, I take it back. Mark didn't fail to consider this. My bad. And then it's a, an excerpt from uh, the David Harvey uh, book, uh, Companion to Marx's Capital Volume 2, in which he, you know, uh, he's quoting Marx, but he's also citing an example of the Suez like Canal getting, example, getting blocked. Right. And this is just how, like, nitpicky some leftists are. Because we had somebody jump into the comments on the meme that we posted there. We didn't make the meme. We just shared it on our Facebook page. Saying, uh, that's a quote by David Harvey, not Marx. Now, right. the, the, the quote that's in there is <laughs> Marx. But the, the, the body text is David Harvey, right? right the analysis. Right. And there, nobody's saying that those that was falsely attributed to Marx. That was the, just the context of it and, and you commented you're like you know this is this is about the idea of of blocking the supply chain of a global market you know it's not it's <laughs> right. you know and then this person responded again you know well harvey gave the example to help explain but you know uh the everyone keeps sharing the saying that mark said this looks silly and it's like no they don't nobody nobody <laughs> Everyone knows that Marx didn't write a companion to Marx's Capital. Marx wrote Capital, (laughs) right? (laughs) So I replied as our page. I just said, look, David Carvey is is the social geographer and the foremost expert on interpreting Marx. The Suez Canal was finished in 1869. Marx lived until 1883. So clearly he knew about the Suez Canal, (laughs) right? It was a big deal at the time to, to open up a continent to, you know, having all the shipping go there and sit around the Horn of Africa uh, where everyone died. And, you know, nobody who's falsely attributing this quotation, they're rightfully understanding this is absolutely something that Marx would have considered. This is a pretty <laughs> silly hill for you to die on. Right. 
And they didn't reply after that. Cause Which would have gotten like, you banned on Twitter. Luckily, it was on, it was on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, if you use the idiom a hill to die on, that's somehow you're threatening violence. That's violence. The, yeah, that is violence. You know? And, you know, speaking of speaking of words uh, being violence, we, we, we should start the uh, podcast off talking about AOC just really fucking... I really think ripping the Band-Aid off for a lot of people who are still trying to cling to hope that she was just, you know, young and impressionable and just trying to do the right thing and not, you know, just totally career focused and trying to, to you know, just be the next Nancy Pelosi, basically. Um, I think she really helped a lot of us rip the... And, and I don't say me, because I think I've been to that point for at least the last six months or so, but uh, she helped a lot of people ripped that bandaid off because she did an interview uh in the dsa's quarterly uh magazine which which is still a thing apparently um i thought that was just called jacobin like i didn't they <laughs> right. have the, that wasn't the same right thing. i don't know if it's like no, a newsletter no. like or actually straight up magazine pretty you know but they send it out to the people that 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 are yeah. dumb enough to give them a bunch of money to to do nothing and then yell at the left when they actually demand that politicians do their jobs um but so yeah she did an interview with uh, Democratic Left, which is the DSA's national newsletter quarterly publication. Um, and it was really, uh, first of all, th- this interview was a fucking, Im- th- this interviewer, Don McIntosh, fucking embarrassment. He was just a total fawning, like just zero. I, like, I'm, sh- I don't, I, I'm sure he's not a journalist, but the fact that you couldn't even pretend to like be a, a person trying to hold a politician or per- a powerful person uh, accountable in, in in any way whatsoever, but it was just one of the most fawning fucking puff pieces I've ever seen. Um, and I, I want to read a couple of her answers because, you know, one set everyone on edge, uh, and rightfully so, because it was total fucking gaslighting bullshit, but her, the whole interview is really pretty bad, and it really kind of shows how far her rhetoric has, has fallen into just this this pablum that you hear out of every standard democrat now um and but you but i should preface just before the question that i'm going to ask that the interviewer asked he uh he, his response to one of her answers was what a great story thank you for sharing that which you know is a is totally a thing that a reporter says uh to an interview subject um what was the story she that's pretty long uh what was your path to joining the dsa um what was your path to joining the organization that I represent? Um, okay, so this was her answer to this question. Uh, DSA's priorities really are your priorities as well, uh, Green New Deal and Medicare for All in particular. There's no getting around the fact that each of those are going to require an act of Congress. Um, what is the most strategic thing that DSA members and chapters could be doing right now to bring that about? And this is AOC's response. Um See if you can find an answer in here. Uh, I'm a big believer in exercising a dual approach. First of all, I think you're right. There is no Medicare for all without an act of Congress. The thing is legislation, after all. I think sometimes people fall into this trap of wishful thinking about a poll question, thinking that support is solid and that is uh, that it is unsusceptible to the propaganda of corporate lobbyists and the health insurance industry. Uh, I think that the first thing we need is real honesty about the work to be done ahead of us. There are some issues that poll really well, and the polling is concrete. There are other issues that poll one way or another, and the polling can really fluctuate with just one ad campaign. Actually, we experienced this in a positive way with the Green New Deal. 
in that oil and gas lobbies have gone so hard to try to give the Green New Deal a bad name. And even after the total hammering that it experienced... I gotta take a breath, because just still, not a fucking answer in sight. Uh, uh, And even after the total hammering that it experienced by the Republican Party, it still doesn't poll that poorly. However, one thing that we do see is that even in areas where it may not poll as well as we would like, what we find is that it's highly susceptible to positive messaging. Once we go in and send uh, organizers or have other forms of messaging and actually explain what the Green New Deal is, polling skyrockets for the issues. And so in terms of tactics and what's needed, I think we actually need to make the case for single-payer health care that is free of cost at the point of service. And we have to say what we mean by Medicare for All, because as we know, there are a lot of cynical actors that try to add all these ellipses, ellipses like Medicare for all who want it uh, that make less than $100,000 per year. And that's why we have to engage in the work of organizing. So I would say in terms of our strategic priorities, yes, it is continued organizing. Uh, yes, it is also continued support on the state level. So, you know, make states' rights. Uh, for various healthcare initiatives, such as the single prayer proposal in the state of New York. There is a lot of work that we can do outside of electoralism. But there is critical electoral work to be done as well. I think the strategy of supporting candidates, when that strategy is very calculated, focused, precise, when we aren't casting our net too wide beyond the capacities of any given local organization is extremely effective. Mounting continued primary challenges or just supporting candidates in general, putting candidates in open seats, I've seen the impact of it from the inside. How many... How much even incumbent members of Congress will totally reinvent themselves in a far more progressive direction because they know that their communities are watching. And this is the last paragraph, finally. In the best-case scenario, we get incredible new members of Congress or we win these open seats. You know, Rashida Tlaib was an open seat. And at worst, we get... uh, almost a radical change in the agenda of the incumbent that is presently there. And so in many ways, it is a win-win that getting internal traction that is necessary. Um, did you, did you, did you catch a single answer on how to actually go about other than elect people elect progressives, quote unquote, into those seats, which, which would take maybe 75 years to actually get enough people into fucking Congress. That was was a great answer from Joe Crowley. I'm very (laughs) impressed how he's moved slightly to the left on, uh, you know, hoping to wish to want for a thing eventually. Um, That was bullshit. It's it's just nonsense. It's nonsense. Um, It's designed to lull you to sleep so you forget what the question was and what, you know, the planet's on fire uh right. melting and you know it's it like what was the right what We're was the thing i was supposed to care about pandemic because yeah. nobody has health care in this country like it, it none, none nothing that she said was an actual answer of like how are you going to get your colleagues who control every branch of government to vote for this thing that is broadly fucking popular which you even acknowledge in that rambling fucking non-answer that you gave how are you going to? So, oh, so we have to, it, it's it's on us. We have to do more organizing to get. It, it's not enough that it's seventy percent popular. It's got to be ninety percent popular. Seventy percent of the general population. Uh, that, that's not enough. That's not enough. It's you know we got to we got to get to ninety nine percent of the people, and then Congress will think about maybe possibly eventually uh, putting it in a committee. Somewhere. You don't even say Joe Biden's name. The incumbent that's currently in there is going to move in a much more progressive direction. Yeah, that's that's really borne out well. That's really that's really that, you've proven that to be true. Well, so what was what was the thing that she was saying about the? Right. She was talking about the bad faith. 
Okay, so uh, that's so that's the next. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to read that because I I think that was one of the under radar things from this interview that was just like yeah. made my fucking blood boil. Um, <clears throat> so this is uh, her response to this question from this this DSA guy. Uh, some on the left have looked uh, at Biden's record and his differences with the Bernie wing of the party, and they conclude that no progress is going to come out of the Biden administration. What's your view? Well, I think that's a really privileged critique. We're going to have to focus on solidarity with one another, developing our senses for good faith critique and bad faith critique, because bad faith critique uh, can destroy everything that we have built so swiftly. And we know this because it has in the past, and it's taken us so many decades to get to this point. We do not have the time or luxury to entertain bad faith actors in our movement. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, but we also have uh, to value our solidarity with one another. Uh, for anyone who brings that up, we really have to ask ourselves, what is the message that you are sending to your black and brown and undocumented members of your community, to your friends, when you say that nothing has changed? Perhaps... <laughs> She did the thing. She did the thing. <laughs> right. Just just fucking just Charlotte Clymer level of, of bad faith critique. Um, perhaps not enough has changed. And this is not a semantic argument. Just the other night, we, uh, we in a collective struggle were able to stop the deportations of critical members of our community. And that would not have happened in the Trump administration. To which the reporter said, "Thank you," uh, and then oh she continues. God. She continues. Uh, this this guy's a fucking clown. I know. Um, th- she continues. They were just on the belt, ready to go, uh, and you can uh, and you just cannot say nothing will change. We can make the argument that not enough is changing fast enough, and that these are really uh, that these really are not nitpicking questions of semantics because this is how language that we use communicates to individuals who is included and who do you consider a person i don't know what the fuck that means uh when when you say nothing has changed you are calling the people who are now protected from deportation quote unquote no one and we cannot allow for that in our movement uh that's not a movement that i want to be a part of and i know that not uh that's not the movement that we are a part of uh we are so susceptible to cynicism and that cynicism, that weaponization of cynicism is what has uh, and what continues to threaten to tear down everything that we have spent so much time building up. We are allowed to win, too, by the way. Laughs. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know who she's talking about at the end there, but clearly when she's talking about bad faith criticism, she's talking about Jimmy Dore, right? Like, the, she got right. her she's ass too much of a coward to, to name anybody when she d- criticizes anyone, but yes. Right. Well, what was the fo- the football player that, that totally owns Justin her Justin Jackson, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the, she she knows it. Like, it's clearly haunting her because she's like, well, these these are bad faith criticisms. No, they're not. Right. They exposed no, who not. she was. Like, they, 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 they totally <laughs> laid bare who she is. Like, yeah. that's that's her real... Right, you know, and we've even had people who we consider friends who have been trying to carry water for her now. When they say, "Well, you can disagree <clears throat> with their tactics, but you you shouldn't be attacking somebody if they agree with you on policy." Well, if somebody's not going to fight for those for the policy, at what point right. do you realize they don't really support the policy anymore? You know, right. if they're if they're carrying water for people who outright don't support it, what do you what do you? trying to gain here you know the like the strategy of, of force the vote was you know look we don't have the votes in congress so let's shame those who pretend to support our policy by forcing them to vote against it and the squad so, basically said nope that's bad faith violence right 
And just to give you an idea of, 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 you know, how much things have changed in the Biden administration, which he's vehemently defending for their deportation record, um, this is from a, a thread today. And this interview was a couple months ago, but, you know, nothing's changed. He's been doing the same shit. Um, and the reason it came out now is because they're, they're, like I was saying, their quarterly publication just came out a few days ago. Um, this reporter was one of a pool of reporters who were allowed to tour one of the temporary border facilities in Donna, Texas. Um, this is from, uh, Nicole Skanga, uh, on Twitter, uh, reporters toured the temporary border facility in Donna, Texas today. The Biden administration allowed pooled uh, coverage for the first time. We saw a pod designated for 32 migrant children under CDC guidelines now holding 615 children. The facility is at 1700% pandemic capacity. And there's a picture of people just j jammed elbow to elbow in this fucking little plastic like bubble root i don't even know what to call this thing it's it's horrific you know and of course the kids sleeping with the fucking tinfoil blankets um and we even have a clip i think i think this is from that same visit um because <clears throat> let me just pull it up here so this, just just to clarify this was these were reporters who were allowed to cover this who were invited there right by dhs to to report on the conditions that sound horrifying right because they were they were pro i'm assuming they've been hounding the biden administration for months to like let us into these you know horrific uh facilities that we're hearing so much about and this was the this was what uh this is what they they witnessed and this is one reporter filming and you can't see obviously we should check this clip out um it, it is uh just uh, one of these pods these locked pods full of of kids who are sleeping literally head to foot, you know, completely covering the floor. You can't see the floor underneath them. Uh, trying to sleep wearing these, like, these these fucking aluminum foil blankets. Uh, half of them have masks on. Half of them don't even have it. Like, it's just, this is horrific. You're putting them in a fucking bubble where they're all guaranteed to get COVID. Because if one kid has it in that room, you're literally putting them in an uncirculated fucking enclosed area, elbow to elbow with each other. Um, and this is, this is uh, when a reporter was trying to film that. And this is one of either DHS or Biden administration officials trying to uh, prevent him from doing so. I'll make it a little louder. Hang on. Please give dignity to the people. Please give dignity to the people. So you work for the commissioner, your senior advisor. You were hired two weeks ago, and you're instructed to ask us to not have any pictures taken here. Please respect the people. Because the, the political rules. leadership at DHS does not want the American people to know it. Please respect the rules, You keep sir. standing in, in front of the pictures, so Please you don't want the, the pictures taken. The rules are arbitrary, Please and they're designed the to keep the American people in the dark. the people dignity and respect. That's all we ask. Well, dignity no, it's and not. You're asking, is this please, dignity and respect? Look at these people. There, there's a pandemic. To the people. Let, let me ask you. you. There, there's a I pandemic. I respectfully ask you, sir. There is a pandemic. Is this respecting the rights of these I kids? I ask you. Please Are you respecting the, the rights of these this kids? This is not a zoo, sir. Please yeah. don't treat the people. You're right. And this is a dangerous place. Please don't treat the people And your policies, unfortunately, are trying to hide them. I understand you are instructed. When 18 I senators came to down here, respect the people, give them I respect them and I want to fix this situation. We all want and to fix this. The administration you're working for is anymore. responsible for these conditions. Please respect the people with dignity and, and respect. And sir. I ask you to respect the, the people as well. This I am respecting is not you. Respect. I am respecting this is, the people. This is not respect. So I, I'm pretty sure actually that was Ted Cruz, which is which is hilarious because you know he would never be doing that if it was Trump, but it, because it's Biden, it's he sees the opportunity. But nothing that he's saying is wrong. He's you know he obviously is a disingenuous prick, but 
I mean, this is horrific, the, sh- the shit that's going on at these facilities. But, I mean, if they're allowed in the facility to view it, but not allowed to record what they see, like right. what what country are we in? You don't have freedom of the press. You don't have the f- freedom to film things. It's, right. it's a government installation, and reporters and government officials are going there to see it with their own eyes. To, to say you're not allowed to record it, like who the who the fuck is DHS? Right, right. Like <laughs> they're just they're you know. And who is this woman who's just like her brain can't do anything other than recite talking points? Like you know, don't make me tap the sign again. Please respect the people. <laughs> like I, I'm pretty sure that filming them does not disrespect them in any way. It's the cage they're in, the conditions they're in, right? That is disrespecting them, which is the point that the you know he makes there. Um, but you know, it, it's just that that like, oh God, I would if I was there, I would be I would just like shove that person out of the way and be like, shut right. the fuck up. It, it was it, it's fucking horrific. I mean, it, it just to look at these people just jammed like people like jammed into this fuck like sardines into this fucking hermetically sealed little like room. But you know, but there are no there are no. Um, either bars or fencing so it's not a cage and it's not you know a fence it's it's a uh, detention facility you know migrant detention facility it, it, it yeah it's horrific and biden uh, i saw a stat the other day the aclu condemned I, I couldn't find it before we went on air but deportations are actually up a significant percentage since when uh, since biden has taken office uh and i'm sure the fucking defenders the there's just the people who defend everything that the democrats fucking do will will do the same shit that they did during obama's administration where he literally set the record for deportations where it's like oh well that's because he's got a catch and release policy and he's you know he's more humane so he you know the, the, they're, they're not turning people away catch and release like we just hook them in the face and and pull them out of their environment for a while and then right. we let them go again right. they don't actually feel pain they're immigrants <laughs> right right that's exactly right they, like they just even the optics of saying calling it comparing it to the way that we 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 treat fish is like that's not even something that crossed their mind oh uh, for yeah optics. i watched a documentary on um netflix called uh sea spiracy you know like there was like cow spiracy yeah i saw the trailer conspiracy and i mean there's there's no more destructive industry in the world than commercial fishing i mean just like your your brain can't even fathom it because it's just it's like it's it's you know like the uh, the idea that like plastic in the ocean is like the worst thing in, it's no <laughs> it's like they, they it's start bad. from it's that not point. the worst though right right yeah well i mean 40 percent of all the plastic in the ocean is discarded fishing nets they just throw them right. overboard Right. Right. <laughs> so it's um, but yeah, eventually it gets to the point where it's showing like all these, you know, save the ocean NGOs are all like in cahoots with the fishing industry to just to like make money, you know, with these fake bullshit, you know, dolphin safe certification things. And none of that shit. None of that shit's real. <laughs> it's completely fair. So I'm going to alert Josh Fox. I'm sure he'll he'll slander this movie too, the way he slandered that that documentary <laughs> that exposed all the green NGOs as being fucking in bed with the fossil fuel companies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, but this documentary was, I've watched it twice now. And the last time I watched it was number six in the US and Netflix. So like it, it's, it's being viewed by millions and millions of people. So that's, right. that's a good thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we need like a documentary filmmaker to go to the border and really, really show this and really be like, you know, how is it that Joe Biden has, you know, when he said he was going to have a moratorium on deportations, instead has deported to date. Uh, I mean, this was like a week ago. I saw this figure 127,000 people. He's only been in office like two months. 
Yeah, that's that's, that's more than Obama. That's that's a higher rate than Obama oh, deported yeah. in any two month period of his presidency. He's and he broke the pace. record, right? He's got to be on pace to shatter. But you know, I don't even think Trump ended up beating Obama's record just in terms of like the first four years. But he's probably on pace to shatter both of those at this point. Um, and we know his fucking feelings. He's just as right wing on immigration as he is on everything else, on fucking trade, on healthcare, on uh, in the environment. Like he's he's just a piece of shit. And you still have people fucking defending him. And then you get people like AOC fucking defending him and then gaslighting us and acting like we're the ones who are acting in bad faith when we criticize this fucking right wing ghoul president that we have for doing this horrific shit. Like it's just but again, you know, uh, and I think a big part of, of what happens to these people when they get zombified when they go to Congress is that they learn to see people who are from other countries as like less than human. And like, they don't even realize that they think that, but they really fucking do because they're just constantly around people all day who use verbiage and use, you know, just the way they talk and the way that they govern and the policies they come up with where they treat people from other country as, as subhuman. And, and I think that that really seeps in to all of them, regardless of what, you know, good intentions they had going into the office and regardless of how, much they claim to care about, you know, migrants at the border or the people in China or the people in fucking Africa. Like every, you know, they just, they just, I really think that that's something that's just baked into the cake once you, once you become a, a, a U.S., you know, representative. And that informs everything that they do because so much of domestic policy has a massive influence on foreign policy. Uh, and we know AOC's foreign policy has been fucking infantile to say the least from from the moment she got the congress like she just never knew enough and she would always defer to the to the worst fucking people in the room which was you know the democratic party at large who all or at the very least the progressive caucus you know right i don't don't know how to answer this question on venezuela so i defer to the our progressive policy statement which you know was you know barely a condemnation of a coup um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious to me when, uh, you know, these people are considered to be subhuman unless they vote for a, a left wing government to govern their country. And suddenly they we're very concerned about those people's human rights, right, that they right. are not being represented by their own decisions right. and on autonomy to elect the, you know, MAS party. Um, I don't, this, this fucking statement, uh, I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but basically our, our, uh, Biden's. Secretary of State Blinken, Antony Blinken, uh, this week tweeted out that, you know, he's very concerned about the, the, the anti-democratic activities in Bolivia. Now, he's not talking about the right-wing coup that just took place a year ago. He's talking about the people that did the right-wing coup, illegal coup, now being put in jail and being prosecuted for treason. He's very concerned because he thinks that, you know, prosecuting people for waging a coup for treason is anti-democratic. So was Antony Blinken <laughs> storming the Capitol? Was he was he down with that form of uh, apparently pro-democracy activity here in uh, D.C. on January 6th? Yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's just like completely like, you know, the, the fact that OAS was, you know, condemning an election in which it turned out there was no election fraud whatsoever once it was actually studied, right? Um, th- but they never put out a single tweet condemning the actual the actual fucking coup, <laughs> right? Of course, because like because what? it's the fucking CIA. We know the OAS is the fucking CIA. 
Uh, Anthony Blinken. Anthony Blinken is, uh, in some ways, worse than Mike Pompeo because he's more competent. Mike Pompeo just had a just a, like a dundering kind of bluster to him where he would just kind of, you know, always look like a floundering buffoon when you do press conferences because he just was not very good at the job. Um, but they have the same policies. I mean, they believe in the same shit. They fucking, they want a super hawkish stance towards Russia, towards China, towards North Korea, towards any fucking Latin American socialist country. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the Progressive Caucus. The thing with the Progressive Caucus is they're all anti-communist, anti-socialist. They, they fucking hate, you know, they, they, they'll claim, they all, you know, day in and day out that they support all of these domestic policies. But if you don't fucking support it abroad, then your words are empty. You're, you're full of shit. Like, you just, you buy into the bullshit that you were fed from birth, you know, and the, the, and the whole narrative of this country has always been, you know, oh, the evil communists and the evil socialists are coming to kill you, whether it's from China, whether it's from Russia, whether it's from Vietnam, like, whether, you know, it, whether it's from Latin America, like, somehow fucking Cubans are going to come here and, you know, like, you know, steal your house and rape your wife and fucking, you know murder you like it's just no that's that's your landlord silly (laughs) right right. (laughs) that's just always been from day one and and i feel like there are people who can acknowledge that in certain cases but there's always especially in the older generations who grew up with just mainstream media and didn't have kind of access to independent journalism they always carry at least some of that for one of those groups whether it be russia whether it be china you know and we talked about last week the kind of just very subtle and not so subtle ways that mainstream media has perpetuated this anti-china anti-communist hysteria and racism uh, and then they wonder where all this anti-asian uh, you know violence has been coming from um almost everyone even people who think they're well-meaning left-wing you know uh, like in the older generations carries some of that which makes them susceptible to the fucking brainwashing and propaganda that they get from the fucking the cia the fbi you know the, the kind of well you got the former head of this the cia is a daily contributor on msnbc <laughs> right and the nsa and like that's they, and they don't, they, they, don't right. they put his his fucking name and his his title you know former cia director uh, as though that's not a conflict of interest <laughs> to right. he, to have been the head of the cia and then report on every NATSEC issue that comes up. Right. Like that's you like what? How right. how is how is that a thing that, you know, just just that idea that revolving door. Uh, you know, and, and and when they pretend as though the private and public sectors are are somehow separate. Right. <laughs> in this case, uh, I wanted to talk about um, a guy named Jay Carney who was Obama's White House press secretary for uh, several years, actually. He stayed in there longer than most of them do. A lot of them don't even make it six months. Um, And this was just hilarious to me because uh, he got in the news because um, he's now uh, head of of corporate PR uh, for Amazon and is currently in charge of their union-busting team because Amazon workers in Alabama are currently in the process of voting to form a union, which would be like the first union uh, Amazon shop in the country. Now, of course, they're unionized all over the world, but they don't want unions here, right? Right. Because, you know, Americans love buying shit, (laughs) and Amazon doesn't want to have to pay their workers. So I'm looking for the quote here. I fucking scrolled down too far. But, Mm -hmm. and and, you know, Mm -hmm. while you're looking for it, in the meantime, the... 
people, I don't know if you know people for people who aren't as perpetually on Twitter as we are. Uh, Amazon unleashed this this string of like March 2021 created accounts that are all like, well, I work at Amazon and I love working there, and I don't need a union. I don't want some union taking all my my hard earned uh, money. Like well, just the most. So they, they started that program. Those those Amazon FC ambassadors, ambassadors, right? They started that several years ago, and then there was so many people that made parodies of them that like they they stopped doing that right. uh and the only ones i saw recently were also parody uh and it were were funny enough that people couldn't tell the difference right well there were a couple um, real ones though that tried to like oh yeah there's a there's a few real fake you know what i mean real real fake bots from from amazon which were you know just jeff bezos angrily tweeting from his gold toilet um, about, you know, how, how, how workers don't just really like hacky, like 90s era fucking union criticisms, like just just preposterous bullshit. Um, but yeah. So Bernie you tweeted found- out Amazon workers in Alabama are sick and tired of being treated like robots. They're standing up and fighting back, and I am proud to support them, which uh, Joe Biden wouldn't do for months and only just recently. Uh, offered a, a, a smidgen of support to this fledgling union. Right, it was like a support for the two thousand so, dollar checks. Do you support the checks? Yes. <laughs> Jay Carney, Jay Carney, who uh, is his uh, Twitter bio, current SVP for policy and press for Amazon, former White House press secretary to Barack Obama, and former comms director to VP Biden, now POTUS. Uh, his response, Jay Carney. Uh, Chief union buster for Amazon replied to Bernie Sanders, "With all due respect, <clears throat> Senator Sanders, you're wrong on this." You're wrong that they should have a union, just flat out. Uh, he says, we treat our employees with dignity and respect. There it is. Again, dignity and respect. Please, please show them dignity and respect by not videotaping the conditions they live in. Uh, <laughs> he says right. uh, here, we offer a $15 minimum wage, health care from day one, and a safe, <laughs> inclusive workspace for them to piss in a bottle. Yeah, exactly. So, well, gee, wonder, I wonder why, yeah. <laughs> $15 minimum wage is, that's... That shouldn't be a starting wage to work for the richest company on earth. No, but like, they that also should be... <laughs> they also only offer that because Bernie beat the shit out of them in the press for months about that until they finally agreed in that same news cycle to raise their minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Like the, even the fucking mainstream media widely acknowledged that that was Bernie's browbeating that forced them to fucking pay people fifteen dollars an hour, and then Jay Carney's touting it as if it's like this magnanimous thing from fucking Jeff Bezos. Right. I mean the federal minimum wage of seven twenty five an hour, like nobody actually pays that. Nobody actually pays <laughs> yeah, that. very few everyone, places, right. Everyone knows you have to pay more than that and they do. So the idea that fifteen dollars an hour is being the minimum for working in like the busiest warehouse shipping company on earth. Right. Uh that, that's insane. They should be their starting wage should be twenty five dollars an hour. Right, and if right. they have a union, it might be <laughs> because when you've got five thousand right. workers who can walk off, the, you know, they can just pull a Suez Canal whenever they feel <laughs> like it. Like that's real fucking power, and that's the thing that scares the shit out of Amazon. Is they, it's not that you know we have to pay our workers more; it's they can go on strike and completely shut us down. That's the big fear. So I, I was just pulling some because people were surprised to find out that Jay Carney, former Obama White House press secretary, was now working for Amazon because somehow they still have the schism in their brain where they think Amazon's bad and Obama's good, right? Right. But that's not true, of course. Right. Uh, Amazon or uh, Obama, when we had the 
brief basketball player strike, Obama, you know, rose up out of his retirement to call the players individually and shame them into ending their strike. <laughs> so this is an article uh, from a couple of years ago, back when Amazon was trying to get a $3 billion welfare check to open up a new HQ, HQ2, in New York City, which AOC was rightfully opposed to, as was like all of the New York City Council, who is very pro-union, you know, New right. York's a union town, Chicago's a union town. And the city councils reflect that, right? And I watched a bunch of the testimony of of, of Amazon reps getting just utterly grilled by the New York City Council, <laughs> saying, uh, you know, are you going to allow your workers to unionize if you move your headquarters here? And they were like, no. And they're like, well, then you don't have my support. And they were like, what? <laughs> you know. And, of course, they pulled out of that, and then all a bunch, bunch of people said, oh, the 25,000 jobs for New Yorkers were lost. Well, none of those people, 25,000 people, we're going to be hired from New York City. We're going to be hired from that neighborhood. They were going to be flown in from Seattle, basically. Um, so this article was about Jay Carney. When he first started out there a couple of years ago, he was brought in to you know solve this HQ2 problem, right? So this this article I, I don't have a source on it here, but it's it's it was a total puff piece for Jay Carney. Right. He probably wrote half of it himself. <laughs> uh, so I'll just read a little bit here. So Jay Carney is running public relations and policy at Amazon, which is the target of an of increasing of an increasing number of political attacks. Like, ooh, Amazon just getting slings and arrows. What are they going to do? Poor little Amazon. Uh, <laughs> Amazon is Amazon is far from alone among tech companies who have turned to Washington insiders for help in navigating Capitol Hill. Facebook hired former George W. Bush staffer Joel Kaplan in 2011, and three years later, former Obama advisor David Plouffe joined Uber. Uh, he left in 2017 for the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Google has employed a number of D.C. operatives, and last year hired Karen Bahita, formerly of the Commerce and Transportation Departments, as vice president of government affairs and public policy. I don't know if they realize this, whoever wrote this, but like that doesn't make them look good. No, That's, that no. doesn't make Amazon look good to be in the company of those people. By the way, it didn't mention also that uh, Eric Holder, who is Obama's AG, joined fucking Uber as like their chief press guy, like doing the Jay Carney role. So our once the person who once controlled the fucking you know basically law and order in this country is is doing propaganda for Uber for their fucking union busting efforts. But yeah, so continue with so this. yeah. So the next quote here they pull from this guy named uh, Frank Sesno, a former White House correspondent for CNN. Uh, who now teaches media and public affairs at George Washington University. And I love this quote because you, you can't tell if this quote is a criticism or a compliment. It's that much like just you have no idea what this guy's brain is, right? Uh, so he says, technology companies, including Amazon, are not universally seen as the great saviors of communities in the future anymore. Like, I don't know when they were, but okay, like, is he being ironic with that or is he... You know, like, is he is he bemoaning the fact that tech companies are now universally reviled? Uh, and then he continues here. They are seen in some cases as a real menace. And that's a very <laughs> different story to have to tell. In many ways, Jay Carney is uniquely positioned for this job. <laughs> like, is he complimenting him really, or is he saying I he's a total fucking tell. snake? Right, right. I really <laughs> I can't, can't tell. <laughs> like so. that, I would say something exactly like that, but like we would be, we would be meaning it like, yeah, he's completely uniquely positioned for this because he lied for right. the biggest lying piece he's, of shit in America for 
two years. Th- there's no better scumbag <laughs> than to to shovel shit for these evil corporations than Jay Carney. Man, that's good. That <laughs> so, must be some guy pissed about. He pissed off during <laughs> during the Obama administration. I, I mean, I don't know if he or if, if he teaches media and public were... affairs at George Washington University. He's probably saying this is Jay Carney's the best son of a bitch and for this kind of work, <laughs> <laughs> and and he means that in a good way. Right. Right. <laughs> right. God damn. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's not unexpected. Uh, you know, Jay Carney's been doing this for a while, but it, it, it is just funny how naked the, the you know, it, it, how naked like the revolving door is in situations like this because this really happens at every level of government, um, and we only really see about it when it's this kind of. You know, broad. I mean, one of the most popular political podcasts in America, that fucking Pod Save America piece of shit show, um, is literally three people who used to do propaganda for Barack Obama, the most powerful fucking man in the world. Like it, you say, used to as though that show well, somehow I, used a to do it in an venue. official federal government <laughs> capacity, and now just do it in yeah. a you know uh, in between spots for 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 you know the the fucking ball shaving uh you know ads and ad reads and stuff like that but um <laughs> that like the Manscaped. talcum powder gold bond fucking shit they well no manscaped is like have. a big uh they they they're a big podcast sponsor they haven't contacted oh, us God. yet but they they're a big uh, podcast sponsor but yeah so if we ever had a, if we had a real sponsor I, I don't even know who it, like who we would choose i guess it would be like you know, uh, uh, Haymarket Press, something like that. Oh yeah, no, I would like do the, that. You know, I, yeah, I would totally do an ad read for them. Um, but uh, yeah, hint, hint. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> if anybody out there knows a guy who knows a guy, we're available, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just and and of course, like it never just crosses anyone's mind that like yeah, these people are fucking propagandists. Like they're just gonna give you the exact line that the federal government that the obama administration and by uh extension the biden administration will give you and every time that they are caught in like a bad faith lie about something that the biden administration is doing because they you know their listeners think that they're super progressive and super left and like super on the side of the people when it comes to the things that you know as we speak about the the vast majority of this country fucking supports you know minimum wage fifteen dollar minimum wage green new deal Medicare for all uh, et cetera et cetera uh, it, it, it's just really funny to watch them flounder in the in those moments um, but you know I, that's well, speaking the, of floundering yeah. I, I we have another clip here of of somebody who we used to oh, uh, yeah, let's, champion yeah. who now is completely playing ball for the establishment and you know has has no disabilities where it comes to uh just taking up airtime saying absolutely nothing so we we have a second clip here we want to roll uh of the uh, uh congresswoman ilhan omar right and this is from media Hassan's new msnbc show which he fought very hard to get by uh slamming everyone on the left just to shift to the big picture it was reported by politico that you were part of a congressional progressive caucus delegation that recently met with white house chief of staff ron Klain. what asks did you make and what did you say what do you say to your critics on the left who say progressives in congress like yourself the squad the cpc haven't pushed biden hard enough on issues like the 15 dollars minimum wage universal health care the filibuster i mean it is because that we have been pushing really uh 
that the you know American Rescue Plan um, is deemed to be the most progressive uh, policy in decades. Um, we certainly understand that there was a failed uh, strategy, not by the progressives in in Congress, because we put fifteen dollars in the package um, by by the administration. And I think the their early signaling um, that that could be negotiated out, and it might not stick um, as, as, as part of the final package uh, really, I think, endangered the ability for us to pass $15. And so when we were in that meeting, we pushed for a strategy to get $15 minimum wage. We pushed for a strategy um, to, to, to pass the, the agenda that the administration ran on, that the Democrats agree on whether it is, you know, passing uh, sensible yeah. gun laws, dealing with our immigration um, uh, crisis and, and, and all of the things that we all care about. What we walked away uh, from that conversation with is an understanding uh, that there is a limited uh, window of opportunity uh, for us to push these pieces of legislation. There are members in the Senate within the Democratic Party that are certainly not there yet uh, on the priority pieces of legislation that we have. Uh, and it's going to be up to the administration yeah. to come up with a strategy to push them because progressives in the House are constantly yeah. told to get in line uh, and to push policies that are going to have an impact on people's lives. That's what those Democrats in the Senate need to be told. And that's what's going to take. What? Yeah. No, no. So idea. you can't see his face in the clip, but uh, our, our uh, esteemed colleague, uh, Hassan, is, is doing the Tucker Carlson face there. Where he's, just, he's just like <laughs> completely confused. Right. Try understand what the fuck she just said, because she said literally nothing. Other than that, well, we didn't have the votes, so we weren't going to push for it. And other people apparently have the ability to shut a bill down, uh, but we don't have that ability. Right. Like, if if Joe Manchin knows he can shut down the entire bill if it has something he likes or doesn't like, then why can't the Progressive Caucus, with its 100 members, say, no, sorry, you, you Democrats want to pass this this Biden stimulus bill that you plan all on running on in 2022 as Hilarious. being this huge success for our party and we know how much that means to you that you need this to run on then we're not going to let it pass unless it's got $15 an hour minimum wage we will not vote for it if it has that if you know you have that power and you don't fucking use it you are complicit you are not yeah. fighting for the things that we you ran on you're completely useless you're complicit you're 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 putting your career and your own career advancement and not pissing off the people uh, who are higher up on the food chain than you ahead of actually accomplishing the policies that you claim that you support. Uh, and this has just been the fucking progressive, uh, you know, squad uh, fucking MO since day one is just don't rock the boat too much. Just do, you know, do, do the little things that we, that we think, you know, will, will play well with our Twitter audience because that's all they fucking get. All of them tweeting constantly. What, what would, what would $2,000 a month do for you and your family? What would $1,400? I don't know. Gee, I don't know. Why don't you fucking pass it so I can tell you, why don't you pass it so I don't have to fucking lose my house. So, you know, why don't, why don't you do something, you motherfuckers, instead of tweeting about it all day long? They're just so full of shit. They're all fucking image. And, and I really kind of feel almost dumb for falling for it as long as I did. But it, it is amazing to me how 
quickly people are starting to catch on to the fact that they're all full of shit because it, you can only keep things up like, you know, and look, and I'm not even saying that some of them didn't initially maybe get in with the right intentions, but you can only keep the ruse going for so long before you look like a fool. And and they're all looking like fools constantly, like whenever they do uh, an interview where they're asked a moderately, you know, tough question or a question from their left like they they just it's amazing like for the first time you're seeing people like ilan aoc you know getting questions from their left and just completely crumbling like origami and again you know and i'm sure people will be like oh you don't give bernie that criticism bernie's still the only one out there and again i we have tons of criticism for bernie and you could go back and listen to our episodes during the primary about all the shit we said about him and the terrible strategy he has and the terrible fucking... Um, Not only can you, you should. Yeah, you should, absolutely. <laughs> um, but he's still the only one out there fucking taking on Amazon and, and fighting for fucking unions when, when our actual president fucking, you know, who doesn't even have his mental cognition uh, is, is sitting there... You know, well, not even mentioning. He, he's the not the only union. one supporting the union. I mean, to to Biden's credit, he finally came out and said, "Oh yeah, I support union." After right, initially right, refusing to, <laughs> that's not. But so, you know. Il, Ilhan also tweeted in response to Jay Carney's ridiculous tweet. You know, then why won't you let these workers have a union if you think these things are important for them? Which I thought was interesting because, you know, Ilhan uh, famously lauded praise on to Margaret Thatcher, who was rapidly anti-union. <laughs> and so I just I just said, you know, responded to Ilhan's tweet. I said, you know, uh, I mean, you know who else was anti-union? Margaret Thatcher. And people, like, I got just swarmed by Ilhan supporters who didn't know that she supports Thatcher, right, or supported Thatcher, and just, like, didn't understand what my what my criticism was. And and there was the one person replied, like, whatever you think you're trying to say, it didn't work. I was like, um, didn't work. Like, <laughs> you're, sure about you're, that one, you're, you're, Your brain's breaking, so, yeah, it worked. Um, so I just I just wanted to, to read uh, what Ilhan actually said. And she said this several times. But this is just one example of an NPR interview she did where she was asked, like, well, how can you support Margaret Thatcher? Like, she right. seems to stand against everything you support. And her response, I just, I hate this reply. Ilhan replies, it's interesting, right? Oftentimes we're told who our heroes can be. And for me, I find it to be inspirational for a woman when there really were no other women around who were leading to say, I can do this. And I think... As I think about my own journey, dealing with the ideas that many within my own community had about a boy should be first, I needed to have sort of an inspiration. And obviously, she left, Thatcher, left a very dark mark in history. But we can't take away how inspirationally bold she was to believe that she can lead as a woman in her own time. Like, if if that's not fucking Sandberg lean in corporate bullshit, I don't know what is. I mean, I just can't help but think of the the, the fucking the Eric Andre, the the you know the meme. With the, you know, do you think Margaret Thatcher had girl power? And then when he was interviewing me, like, oh yeah, absolutely. Just it's just so fucking pathetic. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, just, just like you, you, God, I I just can't, I have no words for that. Like, what? How fucking soulless do you have to be to just to, to just be like, oh, well, you know, she's got the same genitals as me, so it doesn't matter that she's a fucking piece of shit monster who, you know, literally killed people because of her fucking bullshit austerity and her horrendous 
policies. Um, started a war started a to war. you know hold on to one of their last colonies they still had and killed thousands of people. Right. Uh, sunk a sunk a ship with hundreds of people on board. Needlessly, um, you know, uh, had the police murder striking mine workers. Uh, just, just absolutely. I remember saying this on the for, on the show before, but uh, when Pinochet was arrested for uh, war crimes, mm-hmm. genocide, atrocities, Thatcher sent him a bottle of champagne <laughs> as a condolence wow. gift. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No. Just. Just really. You know. It's great to see women in power. You know. Really. Really. Just. Re- really. Really making inspiring. A really inspiring. You know. This is why representation matters. Because you know, if it wasn't for Thatcher, Pinochet would have been sitting in a jail cell with you no know, uh, Chris Dahl to drink. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. Oh yeah. God! It's such a disappointment too, because they. You know. Ilhan, of all of them, really, at the beginning, you know, the, one of her first big kind of moments was when she really gave it to Elliot, uh, Elliot Abrams during that hearing. I, I don't know if it was his confirmation hearing or what, because he was, you know, of course, one of the fucking criminals uh, who was involved in, in Watergate. Um, but also, uh, it, Trump had brought him on as his, I forget what he was, his national security advisor. He was something uh, in Trump's administration, and she really, like, fucking gave it to him. Uh, about the Watergate, about Vietnam, like all about all that shit. Um, and uh, he, you know, like, and and that was we really were like, oh shit, she might be the only one who actually focuses on foreign policy, and she's a fucking you know refugee from one of the countries that we're bombing. Um, so it was like, oh, well, she she called out APAC, you know, and everyone came after her for calling out right. APAC when she said it was all about the Benjamins, right? right? So it's just such and, a disappointment. And she was right; she was right about that. Right. But like, how do you how do you then say that someone like Margaret Thatcher is a personal hero and inspirational? They they really like lobotomize them when they go when they get into Congress. Like, I really think that there's something that goes on. Where they just replace them with pod people because it's 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 unbelievable. It's, the fucking... it's not like there's no other women in fucking history to turn to who were leaders, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, like uh, how about how about a woman who was surrounded by men in in a field where, you know, she was a not only a pioneer but was better than everyone, like fucking Amelia Earhart, right? You know, who who was who was often openly critical of global capitalism, you know, and she was not somebody who was overtly political, but even she was like, I can't ignore some of this shit because it's just ridiculous. Um, You know, like there's, there's plenty of historical women uh, who weren't absolute monsters to turn to for inspiration. Even Shirley Chisholm, if you want to go into the political realm, cite someone like her, cite fucking Harriet Tubman, like cite somebody who's not uh, just a fucking horrible right-wing piece of shit, like monster. Frances Perkins, first first woman who was a a U.S. Labor secretary. uh, Cabinet-level secretary who basically came up with the entire idea for the New Deal. Right. Right, like, yeah, we, you know, and that's not a name that I probably she she might even not even know who that is, but like, yeah, th- there's plenty of people God. that you could cite. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just really anyway. pathetic, but yeah, I, I, you know, that's where we're at with them. Um, I don't have much much confidence that things are going to get any better because there's still this huge segment of of the actual left, like the online left, who just continuously defends these people because it's just, and I get the feeling of like. You, you, like you know not wanting to just face the hopelessness of like there's literally nobody good that you can fucking you know if this if it was like to, a but... 20 year 20 year 
slippery slope into becoming awful. Right. You know, and just being wrong about everything and not fighting for shit. That I, you know, like I probably wouldn't even notice it happening. But like after two years already, this is where we're at. Right. It's so no time at all. No time at all. Then yeah, and we were, you know, obviously we're not, you know, we were we were hoping for the best from them. But like it's just, it's very clear that uh, with the rapid rate of of dissension, that this is just not going to work out. Like they're just they're just going to be subsumed into the machine like everybody else and the people still i th- i think at this point like they've they've slid right and now like ayana presley might be low-key, like the most <laughs> just because she shuts the fuck here. up and never never does anything publicly uh, yeah it's like... yeah because it's, right. which, is, which is really sad because you know if you remember what ayana presley had to say about bernie sanders back in 2016 <sighs> and what she said about hillary clinton you're, you're just like I, right I laughed out of the room basically right um, so uh, one little short thing, I don't know if you saw this, that, uh, it's a headline that, uh, the city of Baltimore is going to be ending prosecution of low level, level drug offenses and prostitution offenses, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like, it only took 21 years for somebody in that city government to finally to watch, watch the wire. wire. Right. Oh man. Just turn the whole city into Amsterdam. Just fucking oh, great. Oh my God. Um, it, it's and god I, I haven't gone back and rewatched that series because i it's it's just so fucking good that i wanted to it like is. Leave it's it, just very leave bleak it too. It's, it's a hard rewatch you know there's just a lot of bleakness too where it's just really good but it's also like it's not like a light what you know <laughs> it's not a light watch it's it's just very like certain movies and shows are just like you can under you can recognize how amazing they are but not be like oh man i can't wait to pop in and, and you know another episode of this and rewatch it again <laughs> like, like right. it's just a tough it's a tough hang it's a tough hang but <sighs> right well and and they start the show out as making you think it's just like a you know late 90s like a cop procedural like procedural right. yeah yeah and they they very slowly moved into political territory which you know credit to what's his name the writer uh, career that show who was a fucking who, idiot in real life. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, like how he could denounce the Baltimore riots in 2014 uh, when he himself was like the most, you know, like prolific writer of, of showing the real politics on the street. Right. Uh, you know, and, and putting that out there in a way that, that was groundbreaking and, and award winning. And then still just be like, yeah, I don't know why people are rioting. Like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Right. <laughs> Like, and he's yeah. just a neoliberal piece of shit. He constantly yells at like left wing critiques of Joe Biden. Like he's just, I don't understand how. But I, I mean, I I guess it's just money at the end of the day that like just will will turn you into this. But like, it it is it's amazing it's that. that they're so that. they're it, so good it's... at like fundamentally understanding the flaws of the system and critiquing them on screen. It, they're just they're law and order. At the end of the day, it's it's like they will go watch Star Wars. And cheer when the Death Star is blown up by the rebels, but they would never in real life. They're like, "That's destruction of property. We can't do that. <laughs> right. That is, you know, I don't care how you know one one you know two wrongs don't make a right. Right. You know, what about all the small small contractors that were on the Death Star that were killed too? You got to think about the small businesses that were hurt by that riot. Like Star- you know, it's just it's such a Starbucks is like the the, the closest and uh, like analog like analogous uh, comparison to like the Death Star that we have in, in in modern society. Like corporations like Starbucks and Amazon, that's like the closest thing we got to a Death Star. So when you when when people are throwing rocks through the window of a Starbucks and they're on TV like crying hysterically about the destruction of our small towns and communities, it's like, y- y- do you not realize you're not like? Right. <laughs> 
You're not supporting and, and the right side And clearly, the Death Star was insured because they had another one built like in a couple of years. Like that, the funding for that didn't they had come out. Total accident forgiveness on the Death Star. They 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 fully paid off the the, the loan that they took out to build the first Death Star. Yeah, uh, the the idea that like a, a you know Rite Aid or CVS that gets burned down is like not insured by. Right. And you know, like, oh no, we're gonna fucking like the, the the kids that work there are out of a job now. Like, you think that they didn't fucking participate in that? They hate that place. They hate right. that place. I can tell you, I worked at CVS. Fucking sucked. I would, I would love if somebody burned it down and I got, you know, <laughs> to collect unemployment for a few months. But yeah, um, yeah. Oh God, I, it, it's just very disappointing. But um, one thing I did want to—I don't know if you had anything else. No, I wanted no. to close out here talking about. Uh, not necessarily Pete Buttigieg, but he he brought up uh, the idea of a vehicle miles traveled tax, VMT tax, and people kind of lost their minds on Twitter this week about that. Um, Because a lot of people who aren't real familiar with it view it as a regressive tax, right? That, you know, if you tax the amount of miles driven, then that's going to hurt poor people. And, of course, every, you know, everything that... Uh, might make driving cars less convenient. Of course, people lose their minds uh, because we've made it the most convenient way to travel uh, through massive subsidies, uh, through having you know basically free roads everywhere. Um, but the VMT tax has always been proposed by transportation advocates for decades as something that would replace the gas tax. And you could very easily argue that the gas tax is already a regressive tax, right? Because rich people... Presumably, if they drive a car, going to pay the exact same tax on gas that somebody who is poor is going to pay, sure, right? right. Uh, so the VMT tax has always been something that was like, well, let's, this is because the price of fuel is constantly fluctuating. You know, it doesn't provide a good source of revenue for anything. I mean, the idea would be that you know you would take the tax on gas and cars and invest it in public transportation. You know, if you if you really look at it, uh, you know the I mean, essentially the way I look at it is this, right? Like, I don't have a problem subsidizing the roads, right? It's a public right-of-way. It's not just for cars. There's bicycles. There's, right. uh, you got trains. You got buses. Uh, high-speed rail, hopefully someday, knock on wood. Um, but it's, it's a shared right-of-way. So even though right now it's you know, mostly dominated by cars, unfortunately, I don't have a problem subsidizing that. But I have a big problem subsidizing private automobile storage, private fuel consumption, and private vehicle loan financing. All of those things are subsidized in this country to make it more convenient to own a car. Right? Because the automobile industry knows that a car is really expensive to manufacture, it's very polluting to manufacture, and they know that car ownership is, is a huge financial burden. Even when it's subsidized, owning a car uh, is about a eight to $10,000 of your finances every year. Yeah. That you're spending. Sure. Once you like add up everything, it's you know, and people in America are so basically spoiled by their government to make sure they keep driving a car. They don't even realize they're paying the cheapest fuel prices in the world, right? Like the price you pay for a gallon of gasoline, that's what the rest of the world pays for a liter of gasoline, right? right. <laughs> so if you had to pay the full price of at the pump, you'd be paying about ten dollars per gallon. I don't know if people realize that. So when people talk about you know a, a small uh, tax, you know, we're talking about a few cents per gallon or a few cents, uh, you know, VMT tax. And a VMT tax would be like, it wouldn't be like there's a computer in your car recording your miles. They would like look at your odometer, uh, you know, once a year or something like that. It's it's not as scary as people think, but of course, it's not well understood. 
people haven't really talked about it a whole much, so of course they flipped out. But you know, it, it's we have made it so easy to drive a car that like we need to do things to make it less easy. That's just that's well, uh, unfortunately the way it is. You know, we have we have chosen or to subsidize the most expensive form of travel. It's the most destructive form of travel. Uh, you know, every mile you drive is destroying the road, destroys the air, destroys the public commons, and we fund those things with subsidies, right? And ultimately, the goal of a tax on something that's really destructive should be to curb that destructive behavior. Okay, so I have a, a tweet here from a young woman. She's a, a transit advocate. Her name is uh, Alex Crenceras. Uh, she lives in Los Angeles, and she commented on this. She uh, tweeted out, every time people begin arguing about taxing VMT, and whether or not that would harm working-class communities, I think about how my family is breathing in poisoned air every day because they live next to a freeway. And they will continue to unless we change our land-use policies. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I have a nuanced opinion on this because like, I, 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 I get that it's probably a more equitable tax than a gas tax or, you know, just any other, you know, random thing that somebody can come up with, but, or a toll or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The problem I think with a lot of people who would, this tax would affect is that it's not addressing the root cause of the issue. Now, I'm not talking about climate change, but the root cause of the issue of why people drive so much and why they make it so easy is that they have, you know, suburbanized America and they have forced everyone into these, you know, communities where they live 20 miles away from a fucking supermarket and shit like that. And they're not doing anything to address, you know, the reasons that people are doing all like nobody fucking likes commuting to work. Like nobody likes doing that shit. If, if they're not going to address the root causes of that and just, you know, kind of in, in people's minds, penalize the end okay. user, well, then what's so what's stopping people from living close to where they work? What if they work in a city? The prices of of living in that city. I mean, fuck. You know, does anybody okay. in San Francisco live in San Francisco who works there outside of the tech bros? Like, I mean, yeah. That's so okay. So, you know, if you are spending eight to ten thousand dollars a year on your car, that's right. But more money than the difference in rent from living in the suburbs versus the city by quite a bit. It is probably, I mean, that's, you know, it's debated. You could look at, at, at numbers, you know, either way, but, but it also, it's, it's a, like you said, they make it easier. So it's a more spread out method of payment versus like, you know, people can afford, you know, $300 a, a week, a month rather on, uh, on a car payment to get to the fucking job they hate to do versus, you know, three thousand dollars a month in rent to live in the city that they work in rather than i mean i don't know anyone in chicago that pays three thousand dollars rent <laughs> well no I, i'm just you know, well, I, in san francisco i'm sure they do but i'm just you know uh, let's say twenty five hundred two thousand whatever whatever you want to say like you know but you can't get a decent I, apartment for under th- i pay i pay barely over a thousand dollars a month right and i have a a very nice apartment yeah but uh, but that's not. I mean, you know, it's it, it, you can. It's very hard to find a, a good apartment in a lot of cities for under you know fifteen hundred dollars a month. Like it's it's not super easy for people to find. Um, well, I mean, if you're 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 paying a lot more for your car than you realize. No, I get I that, and it's realize. a fucking it's a money pit, and it, it's just I'm saying if you're not, it, it just feels to people 
like it's it's a great solution on paper but it just does not address the root causes of like you need to get, create more jobs for people you need to make it so that it's not more convenient for people to drive because that's the system that that, that you know, well, I capital. agree. We need to make it not more convenient for people to drive. No, I know, but and <laughs> you need to make it so that it, it's not something that people feel that they need to do in order to, you know, survive to keep their fucking house. Sure. You know, like it's just, it, it's, sure. it's just the problem is like it just feels like the and and especially from a me- and I, again I know this is not about Pete, but from a messenger like him who you know comes across as a dickhead, little rich boy who's never had to worry about any of those things, you know, whether that's true or not of him, it just the way he fucking, you know, <laughs> the way he comes across, it just seems like, you know, the typical kind of liberal response is like, oh, well, you know, we'll just do this and vers- versus just like, what, just solve the fucking issue, solve the issues of capitalism that incentivize this sort of, you know, lifestyle that people are, that feel that they're forced into because it's just not, you know, we can, and again, we could cite, you know, specific, we could cite anecdotal stuff, but, but that's, like, that's the thing is they've been forced into their cars. They just don't realize they've been forced into their cars. Right. But right? that's and right. When, when I, when I tell people say, stop trying to get me to change my lifestyle, it's like, really? Well, you have no problem with the automotive industry spending so much money that one out of every five primetime ads is for a car. Like that doesn't offend you. Like that level of propaganda telling you, you have to keep driving doesn't piss you off <laughs> like right I, no i agree I, I i'm agree offended by it when i have to see all these car ads that telling me that you know the the road is only for me not a shared space but it's just for me to drive as fast as i want like that's that's sociopathic behavior right there and we market that to americans more than any other industry and then they say well i have to drive it's it's like well and then they get mad if they're stuck in traffic it's like well i was shown on the tv commercial that no one else would be in front of me that i could go you know and it's just like a total disconnect there was even an ad i remember years ago it wasn't even for a car it was for like a some kind of like navigation app you know because you know you need to be looking at a tv screen while you're driving a car and this guy's driving through the city and there's all these cars in his way and he's frustrated because he's apparently been told that the road was just for him so he like presses some buttons on the app and suddenly all these cranes descend down from uh, uh you know the the sky and start picking up all the cars in his way and moving them out of his way <laughs> like just, just total mask off like you know <laughs> literally like all these other people don't matter where they were trying to go doesn't matter I, it's i'm right. the only person who matters i'm the only real human being and these other people are just objects right. that need to be removed like that is like the it fundamentally the the most root form of sociopathy. Well, that's just the, uh, the way the Americans of I mean, and I you know I talk about that all the time. When we even when we talk about the pandemic, just this this unbelievable level of like propaganda to just make you think that like uber rugged individualism is, is like the only way to behave as an American, and that you shouldn't do anything that's for the greater good of society or for the community. I think that infects all aspects of life, including, you know, the way people drive, the way people view their right. experience but it doesn't, on the road. It's, it's not natural is what no, I'm saying. I, I it's, not a, it's, it's, it's that level of, of selfishness and entitlement right. of, of American exceptionalism is uh, it, it comes from the auto industry it, that they have tapped into that. I mean, it comes from our military, right. but too, they certainly but use that as to, know, to fund their like yeah. go, go to any army base and look at how many fucking 
uh, Mustangs are in the parking lot. That that's like the only car that people that work in the, <laughs> that are in the army drive is the most loud, obnoxious, uh, dangerous muscle car they can get their hands right. on. But and again, I like I I fully agree. I just don't you know. And again, I was just looking while we were chatting. I was looking up like average rents, like average rent in New York State, not even in New York City. Average rent for a one bedroom is fifteen. Where is it? Fifteen seventy four a month. Like that is just mm-hmm. so. You know what? You how much money you'd have to make to be able to comfortably afford that? Like an hour. Like so. You know, they we live in a place. We live in a situation where housing in America is completely, you know, market rate housing is completely out of sync with fucking wages. It's a complete made up fucking bullshit speculative market. No, you can't afford a two bedroom home anywhere in America on the minimum wage within that state. Even if you live in a state where there's a higher minimum wage, you still can't afford a two bedroom based on that minimum wage in that state anywhere in America. So it's, it, it just, it really incentivizes I mean, it. Not inc- it, it, you know, sure, it's just, but you, you just, I mean, if, if housing is already that expensive, then tacking on another ten thousand dollars a year for the the cost of owning a car just makes no sense. Right, but it also it depend, didn't make you sense know. to me twenty years ago. That's why I stopped doing it. Right, I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm I can't afford to own a car in the city, but I don't need a car in the city. Right, like I can take transit. But also, every think, city has transit. No, that's, yeah, <laughs> you know, and some a lot better than others. Place, you know, obvious, of course, you know, places where they incentivize you know spending on on good transit versus shithole transit like the fucking mta and subways which are just you know never fucking funded properly and been used as a pawn by andrew cuomo um but Mm -hmm. but it's just the problem is also you know sure there are jobs in america but if you actually find a good paying job it's very difficult to then transition into a different job like it's very hard to find a good paying job in america regardless of your education level and i'm not somebody who's saying even i like i don't you know i don't have a fucking like fancy degree but like i know people with master's degrees who can't find a job making more than 20 bucks an hour in like some of the most expensive states in this country it's just that this it's fucking shit and it and it's like it just i I, I just don't know this. I feel like it's it's a multi-level problem and it's and it's all the root, you know, the root of it is of course capitalism, but it's just it's hard to pin it on one thing and then just say, okay, well this is these this is the group that's going to have to bear the brunt of it when it's still it's like well you're still supporting all of the not and, and when I say you I mean like, you know, the Pete Buttigieg of the world are still supporting a system that that fucking crushes people in all of these other areas and housing and, and, and wages and, you know, fuck all these other things. Um, and you're just not solving those issues. You're just creating you're, you're solving one issue, but you're then compounding all of those other issues. I, I just don't. Sure. Well, we still spend more on on building, you know, new freeways and maintaining freeways than every other you know, it's it's like nine, you know, nine to one. Right. But ratio that's, you of know, that we, we shouldn't do money. that. We should be spending it on much better right. transit and a high speed rail. But the, and then again, that's also because they don't want to. People say that people say that. But then when they're stuck in traffic, they're like, oh, if we just had a few more lanes, there wouldn't be this congestion anymore because they don't understand things like induced demand. Right. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think that when I'm sick in traffic, I just, you know, I because I've you've showed me a lot of those those studies, but I. Again, like people, they'll they'll never actually tax the people who are you know fucking avoiding their paying their taxes the most in this country, and they always want to. It just feels like because it you know it's what they actually do. They always pass the burden of the taxes on 
to the working people versus actually just taxing the fucking people who put them in office and who they fucking, you know, associate with. And I totally agree that that is by and large the case. But, you know, we have a situation where, you know, the the vast majority of the carbon being burned is by the individual consumer, right? And if something has to, you know, the the monetary policies that got us here, we can't get out of it by doing the same thing. I agree. Right. I agree. So I just, you got to have, it's got to be incentivized. I mean, I've, I've, I used to live in cities where if you rode a bike to work, you basically got free healthcare because the company realized that if you ride a bike to work, your your financial uh, liability for healthcare is so low because you're you're commuting so healthily that they wanted to incentivize that to lower their healthcare premiums right. for their for their for their entire company. So they're like building, uh, you know, indoor bike parking and locker rooms and showers for people who bike to work. And then you know you see other places and it's like they don't even have a bike rack for their right. employees out front. <laughs> it's just like there's so, and then they don't understand why they, you know, can't afford to give their employees health care. It's because it's just, so I, I agree. And some people get it. Some people get it and the other people just don't, but it, it's, it's on a scale. It's so big right. that the idea that, you know, you can, uh, you know, get your produce shipped to you from across the world rather than that. It shouldn't be possible to, you know, get a romaine salad that came from three thousand miles right. away. Like th- that should cost you a hundred dollars right. to get to get a banana in the Northeast in, in December. You know, like it's probably right. not fucking you natural. Know, you, you look at like the number of ships out there that had to be rerouted from the Suez Canal around the Horn of Africa, and it's like th- this is insane. Right. The idea that you know we've you know we always hear like the right wing you know freaking out about globalism. Well, it's the global trade is never the part of globalism that they're pissed off about the idea that we're constantly just you know we've got thousands of ships out of, not even thousands millions there's millions of, you know we were talking about commercial fishing right. earlier you know how many commercial fishing boats are out in the water right now it's about 4.6 million wow. 4.6 million ships are just taking individually thousands of fish out of the oceans every day hmm. all right 1.7 trillion fish annually and that's why we're going to run out of fish. Why our oceans are going to become a dead zone? We don't, we don't need oceans; they're not important, right? <laughs> that's, that's, no, I mean, there's no, there's no. Yeah. <laughs> it's not important to life on Earth or anything. Um, it's not where you know, uh, like ninety percent of the Earth's oxygen right, comes right. from, or anything. <laughs> right. No. So yeah, I, look, it's it's I, like it's it's inconvenient for people at first, but once you don't have to worry about where you got to park that fucking thing anymore, once you don't have to worry about. Uh, you know, insuring it, paying for parking. Uh, once you have to worry about paying for your titles, uh, you know, paying your paying insurance for the you right. Know, Look, I don't think you'll get any working person so... to disagree with you that it's a total fucking money pit. It's just the problem is like I am fully for that sort of tax if it comes with a suite of other solutions that you know solve the issues that that sure. require well, I mean, you to fucking it fundamentally drive, you know. would. Right. No, that, that, they're that would not be gonna, great. They're not going to switch to a VMT tax without like a huge, you know, carrot in front of that stick uh, I, to actually get I, that I would done. hope, but, but I mean, this is the Biden administration. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked. They're not going to do shit. They're probably not even going to do, do, they're not even do the VMT tax, I'm sure, because it's going to get, you know, it's going to pull no. badly. But uh, no, I would be all for a, an actual leftist, you know, uh, you know, government bo- governmental body saying like, we're going to institute this tax. 
in lieu in addition to a suite of other policies like a you know a, a, like an actual rent you know rate uh like a like a federal rent rate whatever you know whatever whatever the proposals would be that that would actually incentivize people versus punishing people like it would actually incentivize you to drive less well versus this, this is the this is the the disconnect though i tweeted this out you know it's infuriating how many leftists buy into the capitalist myth that we need to keep certain industries alive that are killing the planet for the sake of jobs right and that tweet got 25 likes on it so people were in agreement and then i tweeted out and you might agree with me until I start listing off the names of the jobs that are killing the planet, like loggers, miners, fishermen, and truckers. And that got one like. <laughs> so everybody wants to have a solution that changes something around them. Nobody wants a solution that changes something in their own life. Yeah. That's the problem we face. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know the answer to that either. It's like that's a tough, you know. Well, we can either change things ourselves or have policy that changes things or wait till the planet changes things. Those are, those are the three outcomes. I, I, well, I know. I'm just, I don't know the, what the answer is in terms of actually changing the way people look at those sorts of things, because I, I, it seems like broadly everyone's kind of chosen option C in that situation, unfortunately, uh, yeah. which well, is just... Or the, the other option is, you know, if you're a real, you know, essentially eco-fascist is you just keep everybody so poor that they can't afford to consume more and more resources. Like that's, I think there are people who are, who are that kind of capitalist mm. that know we need to like the, like the Bill Gates of the know, world. What's the, what's the Bill Gates? Exactly. Right. It's, it's like we, we have to keep a lot of the world underdeveloped because if they develop the way that we did, then it'll be <laughs> cataclysmic. Right. Right? right. So it's like, well, you could spend money to help them develop, you know, like into a 20, they can skip over the fossil fuel industrial revolution part if you help them. And you're like, nah, we're not right, going to do Lex that. Lex Luthor's of the world. <laughs> right. that's, that's like Lex Luthor's basic right. gambit in every Superman movie is like, I, like I want to solve the world's yeah. problems in the most horrific, heinous, evil way possible. And I think I'm doing the right, right. thing, but. It's, it's, it's just Thor. It's basically right. Thor. We're going to, we're going to wipe out half the world. That so yeah, I don't right. want it to come to that. I don't want it to come to that. I want everyone to, you know, have the options to, live a different life, but also we've got to make the thing we've been uh, subsidizing that's killing the planet way less accessible. That's just like, we don't have time to not start doing that. And it's going to be mildly uncomfortable, but it's going to save the world. Right. I don't think it's too extreme to have a small tax on the, on the miles that a car is driven at the same time that we're already subsidizing like 80% of the fuel right. for that car. All right. Well, we'll see what happens <laughs> again. I don't think, I think unfortunately it's probably not going to go anywhere, but, uh, I, I also feel like though, that not nothing that Pete says is really going to go anywhere. Like even the, like the good, like the p widely popular and left circles things that he talks about because he just, you know, He's he's always been very good at being like, oh well, this is a flowery so, idea, but like never actually. Well, he doesn't have to convince any any people, right? He was appointed, so he doesn't have, he's not running for office, and that frees you up to do a lot of say a lot of things that uh, are more policy based, sure, whether they're popular or not. And the people, you know, he's got to convince are you know, he's got to go after these I mean. these public private partnerships, right. you know, like he's got he's got the AFL CIO who wants to build nothing but more freeways forever you know they want to build more coal, coal fire 
power plants. They want to build, AFL-CIO wants to build new liquid natural gas seaports. Right. Like, that's their big thing is huge polluting industry because that's lots of big construction jobs. They don't want to do higher-end skilled trade stuff like high-speed rail because they just want to pour concrete. Like So that's the thing that somebody who wants to build 21st century infrastructure has to overcome is those guys, right? And they're people they hire as lobbyists. Right. Right, and and what happens is you get this bastardization where it's like, well, we want to build more light rail, but the AFL CIO won't support it unless it's part of a huge freeway project. Right, <laughs> so it's like the package that they're trying to exactly, know, put exactly. So it's 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 getting over this 1950s notion that we can just keep building more and more and bigger, bigger freeways. Right. That's just not. I mean, that's how, that's how we got in this point. Is we decided that, you know, the poor black neighborhoods uh, that made up cities were going to be torn down to build freeways so white people could live in the suburbs and enjoy cheap land, but also have access to all the amenities of the city. Right. Well, you can't have both without disastrous consequences for those communities of color and disastrous consequences for the global south and disastrous consequences for melting ice caps. Right. And, you know, like people wouldn't have let cities get so shitty if they didn't create those interstates in the first place i would i would imagine like if they were forced to live in those places they wouldn't have you know let them like the, the divide wouldn't be the way, like where it is now like in terms of like right you know, what they well, put money into. a lot of those a lot of that white flight was people who were just racist oh sure i mean and fuck. were like i don't i don't want 50s I don't, and 60s you yeah. know it's great we won the war but i don't like all the black workers that came here to build the planes and tanks and now that they permanently live here i'm moving the fuck right. out of here so that 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 kind of racism, and then that you know, it's just the the whole. I mean, you, this is the, this is a problem about the cars. Once you build everything for a car, there's no benefit to having a car. Everything's so spread out and spaced out that you can't get anywhere without it. It's like you've you've ceased to have any advantage. Now, if you were like the first guy in your in your town to have one, you know, it's like, oh hey, I can get everywhere faster than everybody else. It's like, well, great, but. Once everyone has that same ability, like if you're all Superman, then none of you are Superman. Right. <laughs> it ceases to have any advantage at all. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was a lot of bad decisions that got us here, but it's on such a scale that. Uh, I just I just worry that it's it's so interwoven that it's going to be an impossible web to untangle. You, you know, like it's just like I you know there's all of these solutions in these specific areas that need to be done but nobody is actually willing to do them all so that you know you pull one and it's it's not all it's going to do is just upset the fucking you know uh, the the lowest rung of the uh, it's just if they're not willing to actually address the root causes of why people are have been forced into this kind of you know driving culture it's not going to help anybody other than you know the people who are going to fucking use that tax money to build, you know, more highways in the next administration. Well, people already voluntarily, Americans are already voluntarily driving less than they ever have in 25 years. Sure. And the auto industry has responded to that by building bigger and bigger cars. It's like, well, if we can't get them to buy more cars, we'll make the cars bigger. So even though people are driving less, the amount of f- traffic fatalities is skyrocketing right now because the bigger the car, so the deadlier it is. Right. Right, so we got to stop bailing out this industry that's making a product that people didn't want to buy in the first place. That's another component of this too. Yeah. So, 
anyway, we've talked about this enough, I think. We should probably wrap yeah. it up here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll solve the, the, the global uh, capitalism in, in the next 10 minutes. So, yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, if you want to support the show, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash move left. Facebook.com slash move left idiots. Uh, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash move left. We have merch available at tinyurl.com slash move left pod. Uh, the show has a Twitter account. It is at move left pod on Twitter. I am at move underscore left on Twitter. Uh, and I have a new profile pic. I'm very excited about that on my Twitter account at bike slutty. Yeah, we'll see you next week.